If you have a Bible this morning and you want to read along in our scripture text, we're going to take a reading from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 37. And we're going to take two readings today, both from the book of Jeremiah. So bear with us as we try to grasp the narrative that's going on here in the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 37 is where we'll begin. And we're going to start in verse 1. And then we'll quickly turn to chapter 38 after that to verse 14 is where we'll start after that. So Jeremiah chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah, the king, sent Jeucal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah that sent you unto me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army which has come forth to help you shall return to Egypt into their own land, and the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against the city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, Deceive not yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though you had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. And it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to separate himself thence in the midst of the people. When he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there, whose name was Erijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he took to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to Chaldeans. Then said Jeremiah, It is false, I fall not away to the Chaldeans. But he hearkened not to him. So Erijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah, and smote him, and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. We'll turn to the next chapter very briefly and look in verse 14. Read down to verse 23 as a continuation of this story. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declare it unto thee, will thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, will thou not... Wilt thou not hearken unto me? So Zedekiah the king swears secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth that made us the soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee into the hand of these men that seek thy life. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon, Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire. And thou shalt live in thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shalt the city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. 
and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of the hand, out of their hand. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee. So it shall be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. But if thou refuse to go forth, this is the word the Lord hath showed me. And behold, all the women that are left in the king of Judah's house shall be brought forth to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, Thy friends have set thee on and prevailed against thee. Thy feet are sunk in the mire, and they are turned away back. So they shall bring out all the, thy wives and thy children of the Chaldeans. And thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. And thou shalt cause the city to be burned with fire. I'll conclude our reading this morning and appreciate your patience with all the reading today. The title of our message this morning is Trusting in False Assurance. Trusting in False Assurance. So I was sitting there and we were singing. I had not thought about this for a long time, but I thought of an experience that I had uh, quite a number of years ago. We had um, at our house two young Mormon men come and try to um, share their message with us. And at the time, it wasn't a good time, so I invited them back for a different time. And they came to our house and uh, my office, and I don't know, we talked for a couple hours. And I just asked them, I said, I'll listen to everything you have to say, and I'll be respectful, and I'll respond, and maybe ask some questions. But then I would like also a turn for you to do the same. And so they came in and they shared with me their message um, from the Book of Mormon and um, combined that with the scriptures. And I listened and I asked some questions. And then I began to share with them um, some things that I felt the necessity to share. And as we were having a conversation, one of the young men um, was very hardened to it. You could tell that he had been set out on a two-year missionary journey and he was coming to the end of that missionary journey, and he was just wanting to finish his assignment so that he could go to BYU and continue with life. There was another young man who was very genuine, and as he spoke, um, I could tell that he was trying his best to be obedient to the commission he had been given from the Mormon church. And as I asked questions, um, some of them he had a hard time answering, and he acknowledged that, and he said, well, I'm not sure. And I would sometimes ask a follow-up question, and I could tell in his, in his demeanor that it bothered him, that he couldn't answer the question, and that he cared for me. And he really was under the belief that if I did not believe, that I was going to be damned to hell. And as I was sharing the things that I was, I could tell his countenance began to change. And he became very, I would use the word, convicted. And the more we spoke, the more impassioned I became because I could see in his eyes a great sincerity. And at one point, and I don't remember the exact words that he said, but he plainly said, what you said is really concerning me right now. And in those few moments as he spoke, I just prayed, God, 
please give me the words to speak. And it was probably one of the hardest occurrences to let somebody leave my house just because I was under the assumption, which proved to be true, that I would probably never see him again. And one of the things that I told him as he was leaving was, you realize that all of your hopes for eternity are pinned on the man Joseph Smith. And ultimately, if he is a false prophet, then everything you've ever known to be true is false. And all the people that you worship with are going to go to hell. I say that because they deny one of the most fundamental truths of all the Bible, and that is the deity of Jesus Christ. So I don't say that as some malicious, with a malicious intent whatsoever. But as we spoke about that, I could see that he had never thought about that before. And he said, you're right. And I said, the same is true for me. As the song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our collective hope also rests in one person, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And if we put false hope or false assurance on something that is, or excuse me, if we put assurance on something that ends up being false or undependable, all can be lost. Here in our scripture text, we find this wonderful narrative throughout the book of Jeremiah. It's a terrible one in one sense, but it's a very wonderful in that it is so instructive for us today. That Jeremiah begins his ministry called from God and is told, you're going to preach a message that most people are not going to want to hear. But make your face like a stone or like flint and do it anyway. And we find in our day a precise parallel that we are called as his people to go spread the word of God, and yet we can't help almost immediately when we acknowledge that command that God has given us, acknowledge also the immediate fear that rises up within us because everything about our culture has been created in a fashion to make it either unfashionable or inappropriate to speak the message of the gospel to people, to speak of religion or anything of the sort. So Jeremiah is faithful. And time after time, he goes to the Lord and the Lord shares with them his word and he faithfully speaks it to people of power and people of prominence to people who end up persecuting him, to friends, many assortment of people he shares the gospel message with and people reject him. There was a part of his message that went like this. Unless you repent, this city that we live in 
is going to be destroyed. And we're all going to be taken as captives into a foreign land. And our children and our children's children are going to grow up in Babylon. This was an unfashionable message because at the time he began to pronounce this message, it didn't seem possible. And that's an important note about the book of Jeremiah. Is that when he began to proclaim the message of God in the context within the circumstance that the people found themselves in, they could quickly dismiss that idea because it seemed like such a stretch. I don't know if you've uh, heard, a few years ago, Bill Gates gave a lecture somewhere, and in it he said one area that America was very vulnerable is if we ever experienced a pandemic. And of course... I believe he gave that speech in 2016, and I heard it when he gave it, or shortly thereafter. And my immediate thought was, what a stretch. What a stretch that we in the United States would experience a pandemic of magnitudes that would kill people and shut the world down. And yet today, it almost seems prophetic. And that's very often how the truth functions. Is that often when God gives, and I would never say that God gave a message to Bill Gates, but in the context of Scripture, and in the context of the life we live now, very often when God speaks the truth through people, within the circumstance they're in, it seems outdated, distant, and perhaps even impossible. But that is the nature often of God's message, is that God has insight that is beyond human understanding, and he allows vessels of his to communicate the truth on his behalf that people might respond to it. And truly, that's what we do here at this church. Many of the things that we speak and believe are things that are of a heavenly sort and that are difficult to convince people because in people's lives they seem like such distant possibilities. And so what people do instead is they set their eyes on things and they set their trust in things they can see. Here Zedekiah does exactly that. And if you're lost this morning, I want you to consider how Zedekiah perfectly displays how that our American citizens typically function today. And that is solely on sight and on the opinion of experts. Because that's what we do today. If you go to the news, what you're going to see every half hour is an expert brought on. And that expert is going to come on and they're going to supposedly have studied the past really well or studied science really well. And they're going to give you an explanation as... Here's what's going to happen tomorrow based on what's happened in the past. And yet I'll remind you, no matter how expert somebody is, nobody can see what's going to happen tomorrow. We become obsessed with academics and expertise and oftentimes subtly have replaced our trust in them for our trust in God. Here Jeremiah the prophet comes In this first part of the text, really even before this, he comes. And one thing I want you to know about Zedekiah, he was the king. 
And at this time, Judah is a tributary to Babylon. So Babylon had come and for a period had conquered them, had taken their king and their elite citizens and skilled craftsmen to Babylon. And he had put Zedekiah on the throne. And now Judah was a tributary. Or in other words, they had a degree of of autonomy and they could do certain things themselves, but they owed a certain degree of allegiance to Babylon. And here's Zedekiah in that position has authority and has power and has riches and begins to become daring in separating himself from the king of Babylon. And so Jeremiah comes and prophesies and says, unless you repent and surrender, the king of Babylon is going to come and destroy you. So here's the first thing that Zedekiah did. He went and found other prophets that would tell him what he wanted to hear. You know, that's the amazing thing. I was talking to my students this week at work, and we were talking about uh, political parties. That's the subject that we're on. I teach U.S. government. We're talking about political parties. And one of the things that I mentioned to them is that now people in political parties, that the parties have become very divided. And part of that division, no doubt, is due to political, uh, the political parties, but then also some of it is due to social media. That... What social media does is it creates an echo chamber. Or in other words, when you get on YouTube and you watch a video, that contributes to a a mathematical equation called an algorithm. And that algorithm teaches YouTube, this is what this person wants to listen to. And so what they recommend you listen to are things that you've already listened to. And you do that enough times And what's happened is instead of you realizing you're going out and seeking truth, you're being conditioned to think a certain way. And it's all based on what you want to hear. If you want to hear the amazing thing about this past year and a half, if you want to believe that COVID doesn't exist, you can go and live in an echo chamber and believe it never existed. And in the same breath, with the same mechanisms, if you want to believe that it is as dangerous as the bubonic plague and killing and wiping out half of the earth, you can live in that fantasy as well. Isn't that dangerous? That we live currently in a culture where I can completely be insulated by what I want to be true. That's exactly what's happening with Zedekiah here. He hears the word of the Lord, and in order to drown it out, he runs to prophets for hire that he knows will tell him exactly what he wants to hear. And they reassure him. And based upon that reassurance, it emboldens him to ignore the word of God. And yet that wasn't all that he did. The second thing he did is he trusted in alliances. He calls some of his neighbors And he says, listen, we're going to be under siege from this growing power of Babylon. Won't you come and help us? Won't you come help us fight? And so that's what Egypt does. And in the reading we had in chapter 37, it said this. Babylon was attacking the city of Jerusalem. And then word came to them that Egypt and the Egyptian army was on their way. And so... 
The Babylonians, not feeling like they were prepared to fight the Egyptians as well, they depart and they leave. And now based on the circumstance, that just emboldened Zedekiah, right? He says this, my alliance worked. I asked Egypt for help. They came and while they were on their way, they didn't have to lift a finger to fight and my enemy left. Therefore, the message of Jeremiah must be false because everything that I'm seeing and everything that I'm experiencing and everything in my circumstance tells me, along with these prophets, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to still reign and have power in this city. He trusted these things. And yet... What we're going to find in chapter 38 that we read is that that was always, that was all false hope. You see, Jeremiah had been sent by God to assure him of the truth. I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you're lost, that the same pattern that Satan used with Zedekiah is used today. The dangerous thing, you know, I have three young boys and I mention them a lot because so much of my life I, I, I contemplate and I think through our life and their situation. And one of the things I don't know what to do about is, is the busyness thing. When I was in school, I played three sports a year. I did choir. I did every activity that you possibly could. When I wasn't doing that, I played video games and Hung out with my friends all the time. Busied myself continuously. And today it's even worse because you have this device in your hand that literally at all times your mind can be enveloped in everything in the world. And I don't know that it's a coincidence that we see a disengagement from young people and things that matter like family and religion when they're the busiest generation, their mind is the busiest generation that has ever existed. From the time they're six or even earlier, their minds are enveloped in other worlds. Things that as kids, most of us had never even contemplated. And yet constantly they're bombarded with this endless stream of information and stuff and entertainment. And I'm coming more and more to the conclusion the longer that the gospel is preached and and young kids seem unmoved by it, that it's an unhealthy thing. That it's not good for them to be that busy. That an idle mind is a good, necessary thing. That sometimes sitting in silence is a powerful moment where God speaks to people, where your mind begins to wonder I remember when I was a young child, very often, those are the most impactful times of conviction was when I was at home, laying in bed, had no access to anybody else, and as I was laying there, God would begin to draw my mind to things that I had heard about him. And the realities, the spiritual realities, came to me in the silence. It's an important thing to take consideration of as a parent, right? What's going on in your kid's mind because you're the gatekeeper? Always, as long as they're under your roof, 
You're the gatekeeper to your child's mind. And it may require some repentance on your end towards your child saying, listen, I let it get out of hand. That's my fault. But you can live in, and I say all of that to say, kids now are under this understanding that life is about happiness and feeling good and, and anything that makes you uncomfortable or for a moment gives you a feeling of displeasure, you can find an escape for it. All I have to do anywhere I'm at is pull up my device and I'll live and I'll feel good again. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. Kids have to learn to suffer. Because in learning to suffer, it points you towards something. When you're hurting, because there comes a time, as we all as adults know this, that one day, your child, just like mine, and oftentimes I'll look at my kid. I did last night as I was putting them to bed. I was talking to my children, and I had been teaching them earlier in the day from the scriptures. And as I was thinking about them and laying them to bed, all I could think about is the pain that one day they're going to face. I don't know what it is. God forbid one day they might get divorced. God forbid one day they might use a, lose a child or a spouse. God forbid one day they might be maimed and, ail and have ailments for the rest of their life. God forbid they might lose a best friend. And there comes a point where no matter how much you try to drown out those things, nothing works. You can't find an escape for some of those things because the effects linger forever. Unless you find healing for them. There's only one place you can find healing for that. And that is in God alone. You see, Zedekiah, just like so many people today, he created an echo chamber. Everything he wanted to hear. Never had to think of discomfort. And then he gets in a bad position in chapter 38. And the Babylonians come back. Just like Jeremiah said they were going to. And they come back with a vengeance. And he begins to realize the battle has turned and it looks like we're going to lose our city. So he goes to Jeremiah and he says, what do I do? He takes him aside privately, secretly, because he had ridiculed Jeremiah in the past. He let him be thrown in prison in the past. And so now he's saying, listen, Jeremiah, I'm even embarrassed to come to you because I ignored you for years and years and years. But now I'm really concerned. Will you please help me? Tell me what to do. And Zedekiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah says, why would I tell you what to do? You're not going to listen anyway. He says, I promise you, I won't put you to death. Please tell me, what do I need to do? And so here's what Jeremiah says. Surrender all to the Babylonians. Go out right now. And the very people that are trying to besiege your city, come out with the metaphorical white flag and completely surrender. And here's what Zedekiah said, I can't do that. Because if I do that, they're going to kill me. And Jeremiah said, they're not going to kill you. He says, if I do that, they're going to take me back to Babylon. And when I get back there, all the people from Judah that are already there as exiles, they're going to make fun of me and they're going to beat me and they're going to ridicule all the things that I've done. And Jeremiah says, listen, that's not what's going to happen. But if you do it, you're going to save yourself and your city and your wives and your children and everyone. And so Zedekiah is put in this position that is so impossibly difficult to fully grasp. Does he surrender 
to the king of Babylon or not? You see the difference in the two extremes when the two options are pretty extreme. Let me tell you today, lost friend, there are many things that are spoken to you. There are many things that may come to your mind that will give you false assurance just like Zedekiah had. But ultimately, there comes moments in life where you must make a decision. And I'm not going to say that it's an easy one. And I'm not going to say that it's not two polar extreme opposites. Because it is. You see what? The things that, that speak to us today, like Zedekiah had, the thing that speaks to a young person. I remember as a young person thinking this when I was being advocated to seek the Lord was this. You're going to have more time. Don't worry, you're young, you're going to have more time. And when the preacher brings up anything about the last days of the Lord, just remember, for the last 2,000 years, people have been saying that, and that's never happened. And so, don't fall to their fear tactics. That's what I would think as a young kid. I'm young, I have a healthy life, and the Lord hasn't come back in a really long time. I'm okay. You know, the amazing thing is God prophesied about people who were going to say that. Like that very thought that you're having, God prophesied in his word, people are going to think that exact thing. Let me read it to you. It says this. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. I want to pause there. People who ridicule, that's what a scoffer is. Someone who makes fun of people for believing things. And those people walk after their own lust. Do you know why they don't want to believe it to be true? Because it would ruin them satisfying the desires of their own life. He says this. Here's what those scoffers say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. If you're thinking all things are going to be all right, they're just fear-mongering. Listen, that's what people have said for a very long time, but let me assure you of this. God has testified that in due time, there is coming a moment where all that we see and know are over. See, the things that we'll be convinced of in our little echo chamber of life is that I've got plenty of time, but listen, no matter how hard you want to believe something, and no matter how hard you believe something, that does not make it any more true the degree to which you believe it. There are a lot of people today that are very deceived and they believe it with all that is in them. And listen, no matter how true they might want it to be, that makes it no more true than anything else. Here, he goes and he tells him, Zedekiah, go surrender. And he won't. Lost friend today, I come before you this morning and I plead with you this. Don't trust what you see, your own perception, yourself, and the echo chamber you live in and allow that to nullify what God's word clearly says. Here's what God's word clearly speaks to us. And there is a point under man a day wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Lost friend, there is coming a day where you are going to die. Went through this week, I mentioned last night, I went through this week. The church rolls. 
Couldn't help but notice with all the dates, most of the people in there are dead. Some very, very, very long ago. Some young, some old. If you go to Mount Lebanon Cemetery over there, you walk and through the graves, look at the cemetery dates. Never been in a cemetery like this. You walk through there, what you'll notice is there's more young people dead than old people. Go look. I don't say that to scare you, I just say that to point out the truth. It's appointed unto man a day where you're going to die. And after that, you're going to be judged, and here's an important point, based upon your privilege. We hear a lot about privilege today, don't we? Today, you're going to be judged when you stand before God based upon your privilege of what? Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And no matter how many men have stood and preached, no matter matter how many ladies have testified about this truth and sang about this truth, friends, it's the truth. And it is in your best interest, if you don't know God, listen, to put away all of those things that might convince you or distract you otherwise. Parents today, it would be wise of you to take into consideration, what is it that that distracts my children from consideration of the raw, hard truth? Do I as a parent, do I as a grandparent bring to their attention periodically and speak to them concerning things that truly matter? Am I constantly sharing with them the word of God? Am I trying to communicate to them how that the center of their attention in life ought to be their standing with God? As parents, God has entrusted us with the stewardship of our kids' souls, not of their likes and distastes. Ultimately, all of those things matter nothing in the scheme of your child's existence. Whether they grow up to be an excellent basketball player, like I strove to be as a kid, whether they grow up to be somebody who's popular or not popular, all of those things, whether they like the rules of your home, now today I see it within the teacher's world. They want to be liked by students. You see it among parents. They want to be liked by their kids. But listen, so often, just like in the word of Jeremiah, when he went to those people, He had to recognize doing what's right and speaking the truth to the people who need it the most required him to accept the fact that he would not be liked for the things that he was doing, but what he was doing was ultimately in their best interest and to God's honor and glory. It's a hard thing to do, to sometimes set boundaries that are long overdue with our children for their own sake, for their own welfare, and yet... Zedekiah is given this and finally he gets in a moment of desperation. And he comes to Jeremiah and he says, what do I do? Jeremiah tells him, and yet Zedekiah had gone too far already, the way, the path he had gone. And he wasn't willing to back up, completely repent and go the other way. You know, there's a truth to that. I I believe there's a truth to that. You know, I think Pharaoh is an example of that in the Old Testament. He had gone so far hardening himself against Moses and against the word of God that he had hardened his own heart to the point that he was never going to listen. He had gone too far down that path. Not that he couldn't, and not that God would not have willingly received him, but he had 
hardened himself. He had proudly devoted himself that far. That's the truth of anything. You see it in young relationships today. A young man and a young woman begin to date one another and they date for two or three or four years and they realize two or three years in, they're incompatible. But they're too far in. And they don't want to give up on it. And so they keep trying and they keep trying to make it work and it becomes more and more incompatible. And very often, sometimes they marry and then they learn the hard way they never should have married in the first place. You get so far in, sometimes it's hard to let go. Zedekiah did that. Finally, he ignores Jeremiah. He refuses to surrender. And listen to what the result was. Then I'm going to close. The very next chapter, chapter 39, Babylon overtakes the wall. They capture the city. Zedekiah is brought before the princes of Babylon. Right in front of his eyes, this is a brutal thing that happened, but it's the truth. They slaughtered his children right before his eyes, and then the next moment they plucked his eyes out. And the last thing he ever saw in this life was the death of his children. And listen to the worst part of it. He had to live the remainder of his life knowing he could have prevented it. Now, I think that's the hard thing often with parents who suffer with grief of the loss of a child is that they think, what if I would have done this differently and prevented it? They live in guilt. I'm not saying they should, but I'm saying you often see that with parents who struggle in that fashion. Zedekiah knew the whole rest of his life, I could have prevented it. You know, to me, that's going to be the greatest pains of hell. Knowing that in this life, God granted you ample opportunity to know him. And just like that rich man that lifts up his eyes in hell, he's thinking about what was before. That's such a powerful insight that God gives us into that situation. All of his senses were there. His memory was pristine. And as that man continues to burn today, he still remembers. There was a man named Lazarus that he gave no attention to. Zedekiah lived the rest of his life knowing he could have prevented all of it, but he didn't because he was not willing to surrender. Lost friend today, I bring before you this truth. Don't put false assurance in things that cannot help you ultimately. Some people do in religion today. Listen, if you want to believe something about religion, just YouTube whatever belief you want and you can, find a, you can find a leader. Denominations today, you don't like what I'm preaching here. You don't consider whether it's true or not. You just say, I don't like it. Church is sprinkled all over Bowling Green and you can go and pick, pick your flavor. Pick your flavor of belief that you want. Put all your hope in it. But listen, putting hope in false assurance ultimately leads to the same place Zedekiah did, destruction. Lost friend today, there's a better way, and here it is. Surrender at the foot of the cross. Surrender at the feet of Christ. The hardest thing for me to surrender when I was a kid, and I'm closing... I had aspirations. I had dreams. That's what one of the hard things I was teaching Judson this week. 
took that scripture, what, Matthew, I can't remember now, Luke 16, Luke 16. If you'll be my disciple, here's what you have to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Here's what I told him and Emmett. The hardest thing when I was seeking the Lord is I had all these things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a famous basketball player. If that didn't work out, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted, I wanted to do me. I wanted to be popular in high school when I got older. But the essence of coming to know Christ is that you start by denying those things. Those dreams, you know, in public schools, that's one of the malignant things in the public schools. Just go follow your dreams. Don't follow your dreams. That's the opposite of the Christian message, right? The Christian message is this. Abandon your dreams and surrender your whole self at the foot of Jesus Christ. And when you find him and he saves you and he forgives you, then allow him to lead you from that moment forward for the rest of your life. That's the moment of the cross. And not only is he leading you, you're also carrying a burden called the cross. And you're following him. You know, I was telling my boys, you're going to have to give up your dreams, sons. And take up responsibility of following Christ. And yet, the beauty of the text is what? When Jesus took up his cross and he died painfully on this death, what did he do for everyone else? He brought life for all the world. And when we do the same, listen, lost friend today, when you abandon your dreams at the foot of the cross and you take up your cross of Christian responsibility and you follow him, you lose your life. But in the very next scripture, the Bible says this, when you lose your life, then you'll find it. And in finding why you live life and your purpose in life, you can bring life to other people. Otherwise, you know what you're like? You're like those people on the stage. You might get up and you might become successful in this world and you're like an actor on a stage. You're playing this game that's temporarily enjoyed by you and a whole bunch of other people, but there's coming a moment where the show's over. And it doesn't matter anymore. And you're a nobody anymore. Come to the foot of the cross, you surrender all to him. And you'll find him. And you'll find more than just forgiveness of sin. You'll find a lot more than just forgiveness of sin. You'll find help for yourself and for a whole lot of other people when you do that. This morning, I plead with you today, been all over the place this morning, don't trust in other people. Don't trust in false assurances. Grab and surrender to the truth of the message of the gospel.